So before I go any further, there's two provisos I need to cover. First, execution will not fix a bad strategy. That is point number one. If for any reason you think that execution um, is going to fix a bad strategy, my friend, you're playing the wrong game. A bad strategy is a bad strategy. Okay. Number two, leadership is both the root cause problem and the solution for every topic. So you could say, yeah, fix leadership, you'll get execution on track. Yeah, but the problem with that statement is that most leaders aren't taught how to execute. They, again, they figure it out on their own and hopefully can lead you through it themselves or they don't do it. And they just kind of dump on you to get it done. And if you are that leader and you're trying to fake it till you make it, my friend, this podcast episode is specifically for you. Welcome to the How to Not Execute Your Strategy podcast. I'm your host, Tim Ohi. Welcome, everyone. I'm super excited to get kicked off here with season number two, and I want to begin with a few updates. Um, first, we're using a new platform, and I apologize in advance if there are any minor issues, but for the most part, it should be super smooth. Two, we have a bunch of new guests, all executive level, all folks who are very experienced, and they're going to be sharing their best practices. Uh, some folks are good friends of mine. Some folks are people I never met before, but they were introduced to me by others. Every single person has a powerful message, and I'm I'm delighted to share all of that with you. Also, if you haven't had a chance to listen to every episode of season one, please go through and check those episodes out that you missed. They're all good. They're all excellent. And more importantly, they all contain things that we should be applying as leaders as we go through our own journeys. Now, the biggest uh, announcement that I have is we've added leader guides for every episode. So when you want to use those guides, you have to simply go to timohai.com slash blog and search for the episode to see the leader guide. It'll give you questions that you can either use for your own personal self-reflection and or use it for team discussions. You can take those discussion guides and use them with the folks on your team and have really powerful conversations about how well you're using these best practices and what you can do to make your execution even better. Now, with that said, I want to encourage you to sign up for the newsletter while you're at timohai.com and make sure you get access not only to all the content that I share publicly, but I'm going to start putting out special content for just people who are subscribed to the newsletter. And if you're not subscribed to that newsletter, you're going to miss out on free uh, uh, webinars I'll be doing, uh, special bonus episodes of content like this, uh, as well as the chance to share your best practices with each other. If you would like to share this podcast with others, please tag me. I would love to repost or even join in the conversation that you're generating with your own network of friends. Um, and finally, if you do enjoy this podcast, please, please, please leave a review, a rating on your platform. It does two things. One, it helps generate more visibility for the podcast for other people who want to hear the same thing. And two, uh, it actually helps me know what's working and what's not working. And I always, always, always appreciate that feedback. Without further ado, I'm going to start this episode a little differently. Instead of bringing on a guest, I'm going to be the host and guest at the same time. 
My topic is five reasons that strategies fail to execute and what to do about it. And I, and I, I talk about this because it's so absolutely critical to success. Strategic execution, though, is one of those topics that's rarely discussed or explored in the right way. If you go to Amazon right now, you're going to find a ton of hits as soon as you type in the word strategy or strategic. But as soon as you move to strategic execution, it drops to less than 5%. The struggle I have with this is that people are left with two main paths. The first pain path is you are doomed to trial and error. You're going to have to figure it out on your own, which is exhausting and incredibly slow. The second path, and I see this unfortunately way too often, is that people simply don't figure it out. And if this is you, you are going to eventually fail, and that's going to lead to burnout, quitting, and probably leaving, whether it's voluntary or not. And unfortunately, we have so many organizations that are just dumping on their people, and I mean dumping, go get it done, work harder with less, and all these other different things. It's not enough. It's not enough. So today's episode, I'm going to share my best practices that I know absolutely work and not only work, but they'll actually help you diagnose where your pain points are and how to navigate through and past all those obstacles so that you can get execution on track and experience the success you're looking for. I'm going to go as quickly as I can, but at the same time, I want you to take notes and reflect on how these concepts apply to you and your organization. So before I go any further, there's two provisos I need to cover. First, execution will not fix a bad strategy. That is point number one. If for any reason you think that execution um, is going to fix a bad strategy, my friend, you're playing the wrong game. A bad strategy is a bad strategy, okay? Number two, leadership is both the root cause problem and the solution for every topic. So you could say, yeah, fix leadership, you'll get execution on track. Yeah, but the problem with that statement is that most leaders aren't taught how to execute. They, again, they figure it out on their own and hopefully can lead you through it themselves or they don't do it. And they just kind of dump on you to get it done. And if you are that leader and you're trying to fake it till you make it, my friend, this podcast episode is specifically for you. All right, so let's let's go to our first big question and that's this. What does strategy mean? And think about this for a moment. The word strategy is thrown around all the time, but do we really know what it means? Do we really have a clear understanding of the implications of that meaning? And if I go to the dictionary, I'm going to see that strategy is a careful plan or method for achieving a particular goal, usually over a long period of time. Can I just say that that's garbage? And I don't mean it's a bad definition. What I mean is it's incomplete because strategy is never just a plan. It's never just about we're going to write it out on paper or put it into a presentation and share it at one time and then expect everything to go according to plan. It just doesn't work that way. And I personally love the definition provided by Henry Mensberg, where strategy is a pattern in a stream of decisions. So let me pause for a moment and just say strategy is a decision-making science. It's about decision-making. It's not about a plan. It's about the patterns of decisions that are made as you navigate through the complexity to get to the successful outcome you're trying to achieve. So guess what? The number one reason that strategies fail to execute is poor decision-making. 
it's it's not all the stuff that gets thrown out there it's really it's poor decision making at the front lines mid-level and even senior executive level that's the key here strategic execution is a decision making science just like strategy is a decision making science and here's the problem. According to research from uh, Robert Kaplan and David Norton, legends in the world of business, they found that 95% on average of a company's employees are unaware of or do not understand its strategy. Now think about what that means for a moment. 95% of the entire organization don't know what the strategy means if if they're even aware of what it is, which begs the question, what are they executing? What are they doing? Because they're making decisions on the daily. They're making decisions to get stuff done. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we have a clear strategy that everybody even understands, let alone has the same definition of? The reality is everything looks great on paper until people get involved. And this is why I do what I do. I dedicated myself to this idea of psychological core truths with business best practices and bringing those together because at the end of the day we're human beings we we we're people we're we're feeling organisms that then think to justify or explain what we're feeling and if we don't tap into the people part of this we are not executing a strategy we're forcing a plan on the organization and hoping we get lucky so I want to talk about five things that absolutely get in the way of strategic execution and your path through it. And I'm going to offer just one way of, of, of navigating those, those obstacles. There's many, many more. And again, as we listen to the podcast, I'll explore that. I'll draw that out of my guests and I'll also be sharing more about my own advisements of what I share with my coaching clients and what I do with my consulting gigs with different leadership teams on how to navigate through this complexity. So the first obstacle is a lack of clarity. There was once a head of US transportation and logistics for a Fortune 100 company that I worked with. And one of his longest serving regional vice presidents was really struggling. So they've been, they've been transforming their execution model and, and modernizing the technology and the systems and the, that regional vice president just simply wasn't keeping up with the change. And when I sat down with that senior leader to define success, he listed all the KPIs that were not being met, you know, all the numbers. But when I said, give me more than just a list of metrics, tell me exactly what success looks like, he was stuck. He, he finally said to me pretty sheepishly, you know, I just want things to be better. And as soon as he said it, he knew. He's like, I, that's not clear at all. I, I don't know what to do other than tell him, you know, you're failing over and over and over again. That's not helping anyone. So we can't expect people to read our minds. Um, in, in the absence of information, and this is critical, in the absence of information, people create their own. We make it up. When we don't know anything, we'll inject our own information to fill that space. And that problem shows up in many ways. We get competing priorities of people doing and undoing other people's work. We get massive amounts of waste via process breakdowns and emotional damage and all these other things. So, and this is the single most common issue that I see. It's the first opportunity that most organizations have to improve if they're gonna focus on doing something, quote, better. 
So what I want to do is change it from a lack of clarity to you committing to forging clarity. You becoming somebody who's going to ensure that clarity is established in everything. And, and the many, many, many things you can do to address clarity. The one I want to suggest today is that you ensure goal and role clarity. Goal and role clarity account for as much as 96% of poor teaming. When you don't have clear goals defined, and I don't mean just goals as a number or a metric, I'm, I use the phrase definition of success. Um, there should be an absolutely clear defined outcome. There should be metrics to know whether we are making progress or went past that outcome. Metrics are not goals, they're just numbers. And then lastly, there should be all the requirements we need in order to successfully achieve the goal in the right way. So we, when we say, hey, I have a goal for folks, we need to check for those three things. Do I have a clear outcome? Do I have metrics? And have I listed out all my requirements? And the test I give people is very simple. When I am drawing the definition of success out of someone, I'll read it back to them. And then my last question is this. So if I hit this outcome, meet these metrics, and I meet these requirements, do you promise you will not complain about anything else? I always get a, a pause, I always get a, a hesitation. And inevitably, it causes a further reflection. Is there anything else I need to make sure I'm communicating? Because when I'm done, I need to, as a leader, be able to turn my back and allow that person, or in this case, sometimes it's me, to be fully empowered to go get it done. And, and this is so critical. If you get goal clarity locked down, it then opens a door to role clarity. And role clarity is essential because we can't have people undoing somebody else's job, redoing somebody else's job, or not even doing their job. And, and specifically, I want to call out decision-making and veto authority. We need to make it really clear who can veto a decision in order to achieve success. And if we allow that to be inconsistent or unclear, I don't care what your goal is, it will not be executed. No process improvement is going to fix it. No manual, no standard, no, none of that's going to work if people aren't aligned on doing what their job says it's supposed to be. And that's not just an individual thing. I need to know what I do as well as all of my teammates. We should all be able to describe who does what and most importantly, who has the veto authority on the decisions. And if there's multiple decisions with multiple decision-making uh, uh, veto authority, fine. Let's make that super, super clear. I promise if you do that, you will forge clarity in a way that no matter what your role is in the organization, you will see execution improve. Let's go to our second point, the lack of empowerment. Now, and, and I wanted to address the second because there's no way you can address empowerment without having clarity first. And you're going to find this is going to be a pattern in the presentation. There's always, and I mean always, a sequence to how you do what you do. And you start with clarity, then you go into empowerment. When I talk about empowerment, it reminds me of a, a head of a global sales company um, that I, I worked with who was mandating a change in their go-to-market strategy. And they were really trying to drive revenue through the various product acquisitions that they had made. They did mergers and acquisitions with other companies and bringing in those products as part of their portfolio. And it was a massive cluster 
and you can fill in the blank there. There were no rules on customer engagement. There was no people even hired for the new org to execute the strategy. There was no support in place from other groups like training and technology and ops, but the sales number was live on day one. So it, all this clarity, but zero empowerment to make it happen. It literally frustrated everyone in the organization, including the leaders who were trying to get progress against the strategy that they had promised to the board that they were going to deliver. So we cannot increase clarity on expectations without empowering the team to meet them. That's bad leadership. So you always have to think about clarity and empowerment as linked together immediately. And how we empower has a direct impact on how proactive we are as a team. Poor empowerment leads to inertia and chaos. People will wait for someone else to make a decision. They'll wait for someone else to tell them what to do. When we empower people to achieve what we've made clear, we then tap into their passions and their abilities. And that's critical. So as leaders, we need to drive empowerment. And one of the ways we can do that is what I call a backup plan mentality. Uh, this directly draws from uh, one of the discussions I had with one of my guests in season one. You can go back and listen to the episode with Daniel Todd. And we talked about this backup plan mentality, that this idea that people have a path forward and and they're ready if path one doesn't work i know path two i'm ready to go you never ask for just one plan when i when i'm working with groups of people i'll often ask the room if there's any veterans and hands will go up and i'll ask the veterans were you ever given a mission that didn't have a backup plan and inevitably the answer is always no we always had a backup plan because that is what it means to be strategic. So my friend, if you're giving people expectations, you're being super clear, but you're not asking for a backup plan mentality from your players, you're not being strategic. You're being something else. So the reason you want backup plan mentality not only keeps things in motion, but it generates proactive decision making. If people find that in their mind, look, it's clear on what we're trying to do. So I know if path A doesn't go, I have path two, but you know what, I may come up with path three or four, or make those adjustments. And now you're driving an organization that executes a strategy, not just individual leaders. And be careful you may require more than one backup plan. It's, that's, that's just the reality, especially if you're working in a really complex environment. I mean, when COVID hit, things went nuts. When Russia invaded Ukraine, things went nuts. There was no single backup plan for how to execute through those realities. And yet, we all figured out how to do it, didn't we? The key is, do you want to use the time as much as you can on the back end where you're stressed and freaked out, or on the front end, so that when things go sideways, you're just ready to switch gears, your team is ready to switch gears, and they move directly forward. Let's go to point number three. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode, and I want to briefly remind you about the leader guide that's available at timohai.com slash blog. Go there now and look for this episode, season two, episode one, and download that leader guide to help you not only do some deeper personal reflection, but also open up the dialogue with your team and talk about these concepts and how well you're doing or not doing strategic execution. Okay, back to the episode. Again, in sequence, we have the lack of clarity, we have the lack of empowerment, and then we have number three, the lack of engagement. 
there was once a, an ops group uh, for a massive communications company that I worked with, and um, they'd merged one of their largest competitors, and they needed to rationalize their field operations centers. They were actually, you know, deciding, okay, we have too much. How do we get to the right size? Everybody knew it. Everybody knew that their job was at risk, and they didn't know if they were going to stay or if they were going to go. And the resulting energy left many of the field leaders disengaged and frustrated in private. So publicly, oh, yeah, we're all great. We're all doing the right things, and we're all saying the right things, and we're listening to our executives and nodding our head. But they would all have completely different perspectives and actions once those meetings were over. And the transition was just completely mired down, and the status quo and performance was slowly getting worse for everything because nobody was fully engaged in what they were doing. So people won't sign up to do the work if they don't believe in what they're signing up to do. So it has to be, and this is a critical, engagement is about people believing it's the right thing for the organization and for the individual. The organization can't just say, hey, this is great for us. You just need to commit as an employee. No, it's got to be right for both sides. That's true engagement. So people need to feel like they have a voice in what is being done. And that requires a delicate balance between authority and invitation. Too often, we default to being nice in how we ask for work to be done. And then we switch to something heavy-handed when the work is not being done. That's not going to drive engagement. That's actually going to push people away. And I can say from my own mistakes and experiences that people will not work for someone who acts like Jekyll and Hyde. It's especially true because a leadership style is less important than the actual individual's motivation. Think about that for a moment. My leadership style is less important than the other person's motivation to do the work. If I have a adequate leadership style, but their motivation is high, trust me, the work will be done and be done well. But if my leadership style is awesome, but the other person's drive is just not there, no impact will be achieved, not the desired impact. So what we need to do is inspire engagement. We need to seek and manage demotivation as one of the things that we can do to help engagement improve. And when I talk about demotivation, there's four common causes that I commonly see. One is isolation. People are alone. They can be alone physically. They can also be alone just functionally. Nobody's giving them the support that they need. Number two, demotivator, information overload. We're just so many emails, so many announcements, so much data. It's overwhelming. The brain shuts down. It doesn't know what to focus on. Uh, number three, task difficulty. You're asking people to do something that's really, really hard that they've not done before. It doesn't mean it can't be done, but they're struggling and they will demotivate. And number four, unrealistic expectations. And this is often from the form of leaders, but um, people can put unrealistic expectations on themselves. My experience has been that it's when leaders are handing out unrealistic expectations then people will demotivate. They'll self-select out and they won't do what needs to be done. So we need to seek um, uh, to minimize or even eliminate demotivation whenever we can as leaders. And most importantly, we can't generate demotivation. We can't be the cause of isolation. We cannot be the cause of information overload or task difficulty, or God forbid, we're the cause of unrealistic expectations. We have to manage that. But when we change this, we, we completely uh, set up an environment where people's inner motivations can come out. They will engage. They will do the work. And most importantly, they will take the clarity and the empowerment we've given them and maximize it. They'll make decisions that are in alignment with what needs to be done, and they'll figure it out themselves. 
and have fun doing it. And number three leads us to number four, the lack of accountability. Now we're getting into deep waters. Now we're getting into tough stuff because the, the, the accountability word is, it's problematic. And, I, and I'll tell you why in a moment, but think about this. There was once a marketing leader that I, I worked with who was completely frustrated with her own organization. She had joined the company to help transform how marketing was done. It was a fantastic leader, fantastic track record, coming in for a wonderful opportunity. But what she found was that marketing leaders were spending massive amounts of money on projects that had no clear tie to the customer's actual journey. They couldn't tell if they were helping or not, which opened the door to no real relationship with the sales organization beyond sharing budget. And sales was frustrated because they didn't feel like anybody was really helping them, regardless of how much was being spent by marketing. And then number three, they were using metrics to prove their impact that no one else believed were credible. And the worst part of the whole scenario, everyone talked about these issues openly, but they did nothing about it. So now let's go back to this concept of account accountability. Trying to execute without accountability is like trying to climb a mountain without any gear. Every step forward will turn into two steps backward, leaving you right where you started with much less money and a lot of frustrated people. And the key here is what do I mean by accountability? Because um, accountability is often the rationale for punishment. Um, it's a negative. And when you say the word accountability, a lot of people actually withdraw. But I want to talk about accountability as a positive, where you have people raising their hand voluntarily to say, hey, I, I want to be accountable here. I, it's not working. What I'm doing isn't working. Can I get some help? Or, hey, this, this, this was a failure. Here's what I'm learning from it. Um, can I have another chance to do this? That, that kind of accountability is completely different than the word that's often thrown out by leaders. We need accountability around here. No, that's not what they're talking about. What they're talking about is forcing people to obey them. And again, um, you will have zero accountability if there's no engagement, no empowerment, no clarity. So let's talk about what we can do to address accountability. And again, of all the different things to be done, the first one I want to focus on to generate accountability is building authentic trust and trust leads to visibility and and then consequences which is one of the key points i want to make um, you have to go in that order when you're trying to get people to trust genuinely trust you trust each other trust other groups you need to really ramp up that visibility people need to be really honest about what's happening and what's not happening but hold on the consequences. Everybody wants to rush to consequences, positive and negative, as a way to accelerate accountability. But the problem is, if I don't have true visibility that's open and transparent, I'm going to do whatever I can to avoid consequences. And that that is where you get you know, CRM data that's full of garbage. That's where you have people um, hiding information that's critical for reports or major updates. Uh, that's, that's where you have people who are starting to say one thing and completely do another because they want to avoid consequence at all point. Accountability is about transparency without the consequences so that when consequences are involved, it's voluntarily accepted. It's voluntarily received. Again, because I'm engaged. I believe it's the right thing for me and the company. All right, let's go to number five. And this is probably the hardest obstacle to navigate. 
and it's the lack of culture. There was once a company that was growing rapidly and needed to expand its leadership team at all levels. Um, and they were recruiting leaders from their competition. At first, when they brought in all the, the competitive talent, um, the energy was amazing. Uh, there were lots of good ideas and there was a ton of activity, but then things started to get dark. People started to hear things like, that's not how we do things here, or we tried that before and it didn't work. Um, and with that darkness came the stress. People who were once friendly to each other started to become enemies and that whole us versus them thing was born. We've all heard the saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Strategy has to sit within the context of the culture that it's operating within, but execution is even more sensitive than strategy because execution is fundamentally a decision-making science and how that culture allows decisions to be made is essential to the execution. And many cultures say that they want people to feel empowered, but many of those same cultures actually build obstacles to empowered decision-making. And they do it through their budgeting, they do it through their staffing, they do it through their technology, they do it through a whole host of things. And the reality is the culture is the barrier to execution. So our role is to shape culture. That's what we need to do. And it's really hard work. And I will say this very, very clearly, you cannot shape culture without accountability. And you cannot have accountability without engagement. And you cannot have engagement without empowerment. And you cannot have empowerment without clarity. It's all one big journey. But if you're going to shape your culture, understand one of the easiest ways to start that process is to address the topic of stress. And when we become stressed, it changes how decisions are made. We go from our prefrontal cortex to the amygdala and the limbic part of our brain, which means we go from making decisions that are cool, calm, collective, and creative to negative and survival-driven, right? We, we start looking at failure as not an option, and we start you know, white-knuckling decision-making and conversations in such a way that becomes very controlling or very fear-based. So when you start letting people know, hey, it's okay to fail, we have to learn from it. Failure is part of the execution. Let's just make sure we stay ahead of it because ultimately, we're trying to achieve this outcome, these metrics, these requirements. And failure lets us know when we're not being clear, we're not empowering, we're not engaging, and we're not having the right level of accountability. So you have to teach the culture how to navigate that dynamic. You have to embed that into not only how you um, train leaders, but how you promote leaders. It needs to be part of your regular cadence of discussion. When you have big company meetings, you need to talk about, hey, here's an example of what we learned from the failure we made, and here's how we made this learning part of our culture. It's part of our DNA. It's not always about success, success, success. It could be success, fail, learn, succeed, right? It could be pivot. It could be a whole host of directions you go, but that culture has to become something that everybody feels confident that they're not only participating in, but contributing to. In summary, Here's the model, uh, it, you know, it's actually a wheel because culture does drive how much clarity you can start with. But the reality is you start with creating clarity. Use clarity to then make sure you're empowering and allocating resources and backup plans accordingly. 
And then that should open the door to, are we truly engaging people and, and not demotivating them in the process? Which then opens the door to, are we generating that really amazing accountability that's voluntary and transparent and accurate? Which then helps us sh shape that culture. And so if we're a brand new company, fantastic. We, we've got something that's much easier to, to shape and change. If we're an older company, you have to start somewhere. And you start with small wins and you start turning this wheel around and around and around until that execution takes off at a whole new level. The key is maximizing our people to maximize our decisions. That is the essential truth here. I have so many conversations with so many people who are struggling, not only in being the leader they know they want to be, but also working with teams that are struggling to execute and everybody's in the same hole trying to dig their way out of it. And that's not very effective. I think we can change what work is like. I think we can change our experience. And most importantly, I think we can be the best version of ourselves. Mahalo. I hope you enjoyed that episode and have some solid takeaways. Here are three that I want to highlight. One, 95% on average of the organization's people do not understand or are even aware of the company strategy. If you are seeing your organization's execution wander all over the place, you should not be surprised, but neither should you rest until it is addressed. Two. If you want a powerful culture of strategic execution, make sure that you first forge clarity, then drive empowerment, then inspire engagement, then generate accountability. You must go in this order if you want to truly shape your culture. Three, how we maximize our people directly impacts how we maximize our decisions. This is the key to strategic execution. Without committing to this principle, we are handing our strategies and all of our assets over to be wasted. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm so grateful that you gave me your time to dive into this concept that I'm passionate about, that I hope you're equally passionate about as well. And if you are, I want to encourage you to go to my website, timohai.com, and explore my blog, where I share my personal thoughts on being the best version of ourselves, and also go deeper into this podcast, where you can hear real-world executives share the best practices they use to drive strategic execution. Follow me on LinkedIn and Meta, especially Instagram at Tim underscore Ohi. And more importantly, I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Holomua, onward and upward.